1: Oh, oh, number
2: Just
1: Okay And welcome back Welcome back This is the Leslie Marshall Show This is none other than Michelle Juwondo Coming to you live from our studios here in Washington, D.C. Always great to be with you as we head into our third week of The Resistance, as I like to say. If you want to join in the conversation, we love to hear from you. You can follow us online at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle Chawando. And I'm excited because I have in studio a friend of this show, Catherine Brown. She's the Vice President of Education Policy here at the Center for American Progress. You can find her on Twitter at cat C-A-T, Brown, B-R-O-W-N, 66. Catherine, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for
3: having me, Michelle.
1: So, Catherine, uh, we know... This week, Dump DeVos has been trending on Twitter. Um, We've heard tomorrow there seems to be a vote happening. First off, tell our listeners who may not be familiar who DeVos is um, and kind of what this campaign is and what they can expect to hear over the next 24 hours.
3: Yeah, thanks so much for having me and talking about this important topic. Um, and you're right, there's a vote expected tomorrow on Betsy DeVos' confirmation for nom- for the Secretary of Education. Um, Betsy DeVos is largely a, a lobbyist for vouchers. That's what she spent the last two decades, approximately, doing. Um, she's from Michigan. She's a billionaire. She's donated, and, and her family has donated heavily to the Republican Party throughout many years, approximately four million dollars in sum to the Republicans that are serving in the Senate today, who will vote. In her confirmation. Um, again, her main contribution to education has been as a board member, a philanthropist, and a lobbyist advocating for dismantling public schools um, through the American Federation for Children and other philanthropic Organizations that she's worked for. She's actually never herself held a position in public schools. She's never attended school. She's never sent her children to public schools. Um, to loans? She certainly never had student loans. She certainly <laughs> never had student loans. She's an extraordinarily wealthy woman. So you know, it was interesting this morning.
1: A uh, few former ethics counsels to President Obama and Bush stated they had seldom seen a worse cabinet level ethics mess than that presented by Betsy DeVos. Um, And we saw recently two Republican senators, Senator Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, both announced that they would oppose the nomination, which is a big deal.
3: It is a big deal. In fact, if, uh, if Vice President Pence actually has to come in tomorrow to, to, to uh, yield the tie-breaking vote, that would be the first time in history. We haven't wow. seen a cabinet nominee be defeated by members of his or her own party since 1925 when Calvin Coolidge, uh, nominee for attorney general, had that happen to him. So we are in a, an unprecedented moment in time in many ways, and, and, and in this one as well.
1: So, Catherine, you know, you've you've played in a number of different roles, both at Teach for America. Uh, senior education policy on the House side for then-chair George Miller um, and did a number of kind of domestic policy advising for the presidential candidate um, in 2008, Hillary Clinton.
3: How,
1: How is it that this administration could put forth someone like Betsy DeVos for such an incredibly important role in the cabinet?
3: I think that's a great question, Michelle, and we were all, frankly, shocked at her confirmation hearing when she displayed an utter lack of understanding of federal education policy. She said a number of things that were erroneous and disturbing, and I think that's why you see such grassroots opposition to her nomination from parents and from teachers. And, you know, I think broader Betsy DeVos is anti-government and and Mm -hmm. that's something we see from many of trump's cabinet nominees and so i don't think he really cares that much if she knows a lot about schools because he doesn't think the job is that important well it is a really important job
1: if you're just joining us this is michelle jawando on the leslie marshall show i'm in studio with katherine brown she's the vice president of education policy here at the center for american progress if you also want to give us a call go ahead and call seven one six six eight eight one four nine four four. So, Catherine, one of the questions that I have for you, um, there is constantly kind of this debate that you see between kind of charter and public. And it's and to me, it's it, it gets boiled down into really silly sides. But I think what's so troubling about this nomination in particular is that while she has put forth kind of charters, the charters she supported even in her home state of Michigan seem to be fundamentally lacking in basic accountability. So they're not these kind of gold standard charters that they often talk about. Um, so, So how has that kind of tension played out in this in this debate?
3: Well, you've summed it up nicely, Michelle. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> you know, Betsy DeVos has lobbied very extensively for no accountability and no oversight for charters. And good charters flourish in a, way, in a world where parents have information, where mm. there's data, where you hold bad charters accountable. And what we see in Michigan is a really unusual uh, set of circumstances that you don't see in any other state where 80% of the charters are for profit. The mm. next highest percent, to give you some context, is 17%. Um, so she's really supported the wild, wild west
1: of school Wait, cultures. wait, wait. You said in her home state of Michigan, 80% are for-profit, and the next threshold is 17%.
3: That is correct. Wow. That is correct. So she's really supported the wild, wild west yeah. of charters, and it's, um, you know, it's not a choice environment that leads to, to good schools flourishing and mm-hmm. to parents making making good decisions.
1: If you're joining us, you can give us a call at 888-653-7543. Again, that's 888-653-7543. This is Michelle Jawando and Catherine Brown. So Catherine, the vote is tomorrow. So what should we kind of expect around that? Do we think we're going to get that last Republican vote? I know that there's been a flurry of calls heading up to the Hill.
3: Uh, there has been a flurry of calls. There have been at least 40,000 phone calls. The Capitol Board says this is the biggest uh, volume they've experienced uh, by double in their history. Uh, the DeVos. So it's really reached an unprecedented level of people, parents and teachers. I don't know. I think it's a bit of a nail biter. We know mm-hmm. it's going to be close. Um, the New York Times called for one Republican senator with a conscience to vote against mm. her. A lot of senators have told people that are calling that they're undecided. So I think this is going to go down to the wire.
1: Oh my goodness!
3: You know, I it, it, it
1: frustrates me because in some ways, um, and you alluded to it earlier, that Trump has put out and and I guess I should call him President Trump now, but you you'll have to bear with me. It's it's hard. So called President. We're only, Trump.
3: We're only three. Oh,
1: I love that so called President. I'm going to take that from you, Catherine. Um, you know, it seems as if he just doesn't care about. Public education in this country or education for our young people in this country. And that's why it's so cavalier for him to just put forth someone with just an utter lack of understanding. Um, and I just it, it is so frustrating to see this process move forward.
3: Yeah, I think a lot of people watched her confirmation hearing in horror, um, the number of just basic education questions that, frankly, my eight-year-old, just from living with me and having to listen to me talk about education policy, would have known the answer to. Um, I think you see parents across the country that have children with special needs, who are on IEPs, yeah. who need specialized services. The fact that she didn't even know that IDEA was a federal law, oh. was a real wake-up call for people. Oh. So it's, it's really concerning, and it, and it is an important job. It is not uh, the National School Board. I think we all understand that, but it is a very important job. And in addition to having a big influence over education policy, it's also a management job. There's 4,400 people that work at the U.S. Department of Education, and Betsy DeVos has never had a management job. Whatsoever, She's been a board member. That's the extent of her professional involvement.
1: Okay, I'm trying to think of something positive to say as we head into the break. <laughs> Catherine, give me something positive to say as we head into the break.
3: Well, I think the positive thing is that, you know, I don't know about you, Michelle, but on my Facebook feed, I'm seeing people that I went to high school with, that mm-hmm. I went to college with, uh, people who are, uh, you know, the parents of my children's friends rise up and say they're opposing her nomination. We're having a rally tonight in Washington, D.C., where a lot of people who are not involved in politics who have never before gotten engaged in this level are saying this is not our choice for education policy. So I love it. It's working.
1: Alright, it's working. There you go. You heard none other. Catherine Brown, Vice President Education Policy Center for American Progress. This is Michelle Dewanda. We'll be right back after the break.
0: Leslie Marshall, real people, real life, real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6LESLEY.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host, Michelle Jawando, on The Leslie Marshall Show. If you want to join in the conversation, go ahead and give us a call at 888 6 That's 888-653-7543. Honored to be joined with us for this part of the segment, Randy Weingarten. She is the president of the American Federation of Teachers, a proud assembly of more than 1.6 million members. Randy, welcome to the show
2: It's always great to be on um, Leslie's show, and it's fantastic to be with you, Michelle. Thank you.
1: And also still with us for the next segment is none other than Catherine Brown, our Vice President of Ed Policy here at CAP. So, Randy, I want to start with you because, I mean, your members have been amazing in this kind of campaign to really call out who Betsy DeVos is or actually isn't. But tell us, kind of, have you ever seen this kind of level of engagement around a cabinet uh, secretary before?
2: No, I have not, <laughs> and and you know, and you can tell that the um, that the billionaire class is start. It's and and those who want to privatize um, and starve, um, privatize and corporatize public education are getting very upset because they got the long knives out mm-hmm. one more time for teachers. And, and their unions. And, you know, you're starting to see that in the last few days in terms of what their, um, what their rhetoric is. Now, bottom line is, I've never seen this. And frankly, I've never, and, and, and that's because there's never been a cabinet secretary, um, for education who was so either uninformed, or overtly hostile Mm. to, or so misinformed, Mm. ill-informed, or overtly hostile to the quest of making public education the best it can be for the students of America, as well as a bedrock of democracy. And what's happened now is that you can't tell if it's a parent, if it's an educator, or it's it's simply someone opposing her confirmation because they believe that public education is the bedrock of communities of our, in our democracy. And mm-hmm. you also can't tell whether a person is from a rural community, a small town, or a big city. She has actually unified, in some ways, <laughs> she people who believe that public education has to be a bedrock, has to be yeah. an anchor of, of
1: America. You know, I, I wonder as we, and, and Catherine, I'll get you in on this question after Randy. You know, what are some of the real structural concerns? You know, if she is confirmed, and we're hoping, as the New York Times said, that there is one Republican senator with a conscience to do the right thing. But if she is confirmed, what are some of the real structural changes you're concerned about that we'll see at the Department of Education?
2: Well, look. Catherine worked at the Department of Education, so she's going to know every single thing that um, that that department can do. There are thousands of employees right now. But mm-hmm. let me let me let me let me do something because um, she's so much better than I am at, at 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 so many things. But certainly the technical aspects. But let me do not second. sure, Andy. Talk about it. Let me talk about it this way. Yeah, you will have somebody who is the head of education for America who is overtly hostile to what students need to know about our democracy to the notion in America coming from Jefferson about what we do to create a ladder of opportunity for mm. kids because mm. the things that she promoted in Michigan actually will made things worse for students right. so she will be saying one thing but the evidence is that that actually made things worse right and so whether you start with the hostility towards lesbian and getty students, or the fact that she's promoting things that will make our schools even more segregated, or that she's promoting things that created predatory practices in in higher education and hurt veterans, or that she's promoting things or didn't even know what we do for vulnerable children or for children with special needs, or that she would make a joke to the senator from the district who had the that the, the who had Sandy Hook, she mm-hmm. made a joke about yep. grizzlies. So, so the the notion that in America you have someone who is that hostile to the pursuit of education and the lifting of aspirations every single day—that to me went worse than anything else.
1: And oh, Randy, you better get an amen from me on this radio this afternoon, Catherine. Let me get you in.
3: Oh, I think Randy said it beautifully, and I, I agree with everything she said. I think the thing that I would add is, again, her her diehard commitment to vouchers, private school vouchers, that is the one constant that you have seen over her two decades of advocacy experience. It's the one issue she's dedicated herself to over and over again, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars of investing in legislators to vote on vouchers, investing in advocacy campaigns to push vouchers. And this is, a, this is an attempt to take money out of the public school system and send them to private schools. It's a dismantling of the public education system, and that is what I think we would see her firm conviction being if she comes to the Department of Education.
1: So, Randy, I'm going to give you the last word here. So, what do you, we have listeners from all over. I know Connie from Albuquerque, New Mexico, wanted to get you in on this, but what do you tell our listeners about what they can do in these final hours before the vote? So,
2: in these final hours, if if if. If any of your listeners care anything about having students have an opportunity to succeed and having a future generation having that opportunity, Catherine's quite right. She is about defunding and destabilizing public schools, not just not understanding what they do. Mm -hmm. So call, call, email, email the district offices of your senators. They need to know that people across the country, Republican and Democrats alike, are in unison about being opposed to this nomination. And then even if she gets it, even if party becomes more important, because look, a lot of these senators are really being believed. Yeah by yeah. Donald Trump and by his tweets. Randy, so- we're going to
1: have to have you to come back uh, after the vote. Catherine, same here. There's more questions. I wish we had more time. This is right. the Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back after the break. <laughs> Right. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. If you want to join in the conversation, and I hope you do, please go ahead and give us a call at 888 6 Leslie. That's 888-653-7543. Or you can join the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle with 1L Jawando. I'm excited to have a first-time guest with me on today. None other than Lawrence Korb. He is a senior fellow here at the Center for American progress prior to joining the center he was a senior fellow and director of national security studies at the council of foreign relations he's a well known and often called upon expert on national security issues and i'm glad that he's joining us today you can find him on twitter at larry l a r r k o r b larry welcome to the show nice to be with you thanks for having me thank you. so there is so much to talk about in the kind of national security so I'll, I'll, I'll try to frame some of these questions for our listeners so you know President Donald Trump's travel ban it has been put forth as a uh, executive order that undermines the nation's national security and a group of top former national security and intelligence officials said as such on yesterday on today uh, former secretaries of state John Kerry, Madeleine Albright Condoleezza Rice and eight other top officials filed a joint declaration to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals rebuking the president's executive order barring travel to the U.S. from citizens of seven majority Muslim countries. So Larry, I mean, that's a pretty bold declaration. Bipartisan, rebuking the president's efforts. Uh, where are we right now when it comes to this order and ban, and what is the national security
0: community saying? Well, unfortunately, <coughs> it's been uh, suspended because of very correct just ruling by a Bush-appointed judge out in uh, in the state of state of, state of Washington, there is still a lot of uncertainty because some folks are afraid to begin traveling, and then you know it might have to change uh, on on the way in. And you know I quite agree with people like Condi Rice and Secretary, uh, you know uh, John, John Kerry, and anybody who's been in national security knows a couple of things and. One, we all know that this obviously undermines us in the struggle with ISIS, because what we're trying, they're trying to portray us as people who don't like Muslims. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so therefore, you know, you need to follow them and embrace this horrible ideology that that they have. But a couple other things that uh, haven't gotten as much attention. One is, of the refugees, quote unquote Muslim refugees, about 5000 of them a year join the US military. Mm. And overall you have about uh, 18 to 20,000 depending on uh, on on how you count. And so if you're talking about national security, these are people that you want. Mm. You also have and I think this has been pointed out by a lot of people who served in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, people who were translators for us, and they were more than just translators. They helped us navigate countries like Iraq and and Afghanistan, where the young and they are very young people that we sent there. You know, really didn't have a feel for the culture or, or how to uh, how to get around. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're in great danger in their country. Some of them were on their way here, or their families were, and we sent them back. Can you imagine what the people in those countries who did not like the American invasion, you know, are going to to do. So this really was just not well considered at all. And the other thing is, it's interesting, if you look at the countries that were on the list, who's not on the list? The Saudis. That's right. (laughs) I mean, they're the ones uh, who's had an awful lot to do with getting this whole, you know, whole thing started. So I mean, this really, really is not Good for the United States it's not good for the for the world. and fortunately, uh, I think with this judge, and then of course the uh, all these folks joining in, uh, I I'm confident that this ban will be overturned. That's right. So, I Connie from Albuquerque wants to join in the
1: conversation. Connie, welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show.
2: Hello, I, I really have a question because um, what uh, disturbs me is that. Uh, Trump is uh, strictly signing orders that he there's no thought or effort or consequences in thinking. Uh, he he proposes something, signs it, and then feels that like mm-hmm. it should be carried out. And yet, it involves so many levels that uh, it it it, uh, it it promoted chaos.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, Connie completely agree and Larry do you want to kind of join in I mean to me some of the concern and thank you so much Connie for that question some of the concern is when you put forth an executive order you need to check in with the various agencies, members on the Hill, diplomatic uh, offices all around the world. And yet that seems none of that due diligence happened around this order or very few of any of the orders he's put forth.
0: Uh, Anything a president of the United States does really needs to be thought through because and this is illegal, so you can appeal it. But really, most times you you can't don't have time to go to the courts. When I worked in the Reagan administration, before the president made a decision, we had an exhaustive process, both at the department level and then at the national mm-hmm. security. A level before it got uh, got through. I mean, one issue that we took to him had to do with women in the military mm. because back then there was this debate about what should they do or not do. And, you know, by the time it got to him, it was well thought out or the same way to keep draft registration. Mm. So we went through a long, exhaustive, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, process. So even if you agree with what he's doing, the fact is you need to think these things through before you do it because in most cases there's no no turning no turning, turning back. back. That's right. I'll say one thing and I think it's important to keep in mind most of the people I spoke to around the country who supported Trump don't take him literally. Mm. They take him figuratively and so they say well yeah we know we had to make some changes about this ban but the big thing is we got to keep these quote unquote terrorists out of this uh, right. out of this out of this country And so they don't worry as much about the details and I think that's where he says oh well if I get it wrong we can fix it as we go along well yeah but there's a lot of other collateral damage around the world.
1: And now you're the president. So what when you put forth something either on a tweet or you put forth an executive order, the world is watching. I think Reggie from Georgia is calling in. Reggie, welcome to The Leslie Marshall Show.
2: Uh, happy Monday to you. Yourself,
0: uh, Janelle, was the was shelling to your guest, too.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So what do you guys personally think or feel about Donald Trump's attacks on this judge? uh, concerning the Muslim ban. I mean, is this, is this the way that, is this the way that his administration is going to be exactly like for the, for the next 48 years? And can somebody please stop him by, I don't know, blocking his tweet, taking his Twitter <laughs> account away, or put a filthy mechanism on it. If you tweet
2: anything like that, it'll
1: automatically shut down. Well, thank you so much, Reggie. I, I know a, a lot of people are just asking, can we just take the man's phone away? Larry, I don't know if you want to chime <laughs> in on that.
0: <laughs> well, I think, you know, Reggie raises a good point about him attacking the judge. But remember, he did that in the campaign. That's right. When he attacked the judge, judge uh, because right. of the Trump University. Mm-hmm. and because his parents had come, as Mexican. most of our parents that's had right. come from, uh, from someplace else. So we shouldn't be surprised. But yes, you're right, because when we're dealing with matters of war and peace, you certainly don't want to be uh, tweeting. Uh, and, ag- and again, you know, one of the things that's gotten lost, he's, he's approved one military operation to go mm-hmm. into Yemen, mm-hmm. where there has not only do we lose a brave uh, young, uh, young, a young sailor, mm-hmm. But we ended up killing a lot of women and, and an eight-year-old girl who was an American citizen, the daughter of Anwar Alaki, the cleric who we killed he, when he went back to Yemen that started all the problems, uh, problems there. But I hope that before they approved that, that it was vetted and people said, well, okay, this is your target. What are the civilians in the area? Mm. You know, what do you think? Because for every time, and, you know, people like Rumsfeld and Gates, when they were secretaries of defense, said, you know, you kill one of them, you create 10 more terrorists. So these are the things that I hope he's thought about before he goes and, 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 and approves this, because Once that mission gets going, then you have a a, a different, uh, uh, there's nothing you can do about it. So this is Michelle Jawando
1: on the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm in studio with Lawrence Korb. He's our senior fellow here at the Center for American Progress. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I really want to dig into a little bit who are some of the brains behind this national security operation and what does that mean for the next four years? This is the Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back after the break
2: life
0: liberty and the pursuit of truth the leslie marshall show 8886
2: leslie
1: the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host Michelle Jawando, here on the Leslie Marshall Show closing out to the end of the hour. If you want to join in the conversation and I hope you do and thank you so much Connie and Reggie for joining in the convo. Give us a call at 888 6 Leslie. that's 888-653-7543 I am back in studio with one of the treasures that we often say here at the Center for American Progress he's our senior fellow Lawrence J. Korb. You can find him On Twitter, at Larry, L-A-R-R-Y-K-O-R-B. So, Larry, over the break, you know, we started to talk a little bit about personnel and just how critically important that role is um, when you're advising a president and whether it was the kind of missteps with the rollout of the EO or Bannon coming on to Steve Bannon, uh, joining the National Security Council, you know, something is up with the personnel with this White House, and it seems to have really troubling, long-lasting effects, potentially.
0: Well, it certainly does, because whatever else you say about the substance of what he done, it's clear... That the president has not been well served or didn't want to be served? Was he presented with all the options? Mm. Did somebody say, well, you know, if you do it for these seven Muslim countries and not, you know, ban people, this is what it's going to mean in in other places? This is what it's going to mean, you know, for the military. This is what it's going to mean for those, you know, brave men and women who helped our American troops in Iraq and and, and Afghanistan. Uh, And the whole idea that you want to have your political uh, operative Bannon, you know, in there who should be worried about your political standing as a member of the National Security Council. No. Mm-hmm. I mean basically the National Security Council was set up after World War Two because until that we had no procedure for making decisions. Mm. And the and the Congress Wait,
1: wait, before World War Two there was no There was no US? National
0: Security Council. Ah. I mean basically you had a secret- you didn't even have a Department of Defense, you had a Secretary of mm-hmm. War, you had a Navy Department. Mm-hmm. And so basically, the President could consult with uh, the Secretary of the Navy or Secretary of War, or General Marshall, basically, we didn't have a Joint Chiefs of Staff either. Mm. And he just got along well with Marshall, but we kind of made it up as we went, yeah. and people said, that's not the way to do things now that we're a great power in the world. So they set up a National Security Council and they talked about who the members are because mm. you wanted to make sure that the president consulted the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State, mm. the uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, the, uh, the head of the CIA. Mm-hmm and before you you made a, a decision now presidents over the years have made you know added a few people President Ford had the secretary of Treasury on there because a lot of these things mm. have uh, economic yep. uh, economic uh, consequences mm-hmm. and it's organized and run by a national security advisor which was a new post that we uh that we cre- that we created after that because the president obviously has a lot of other things to right. do Can't and so and, so, and so what's happened now you put Bannon on there I know Bannon is, you know, he's your, polit- whether you agree or disagree with him, he's your political advisor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he should be worried about, uh, uh, you know, the things in the impact on re-election or the, the, the upcoming elections. And then they put him on and then they limited the times that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, our top military advisor, and uh, the head of the CIA Come to the meeting. No, they should be there all the time. Ugh. I mean, I can't think of a situation where there they wouldn't be a military be or an intelligence uh, uh, impact.
1: You know, I, I I wonder just where is the line because I think when you think about the role of a president, um, you know, this is someone who is both your international emissary, but Americans still very much have this idea about uh, a president protecting who we as a country are right from um, threats domestic and international, and yet when you see this kind of bumbling, when you see See um, a very clear message that there are certain people who we think are good guys and certain people who we think are bad guys. Um, it continues to add to this kind of divisiveness that we that we see, but the consequences in an in a international landscape seem to be even greater because of what the messages that we're saying to other countries. I mean, you saw UK had all those MPs railing about our president on the floor. I mean, is that stuff that we typically see, or is this Oh, new? of course
0: not. Yeah. I mean, you take the phone call with the Australian minister. Yes, you should be calling, all, I mean, the uh, prime minister, you should be calling all of your your allies. Now, there's a country that has stuck with us, even in Vietnam, where the British, <laughs> for example, no uh, did not, right. uh, you know, do that, and, and Iraq, and and, and Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Afghanistan, where we have just sent marines there to be able to combat, uh, you know, Chinese expansionism, and he gets involved in this debate about a deal that Obama had made to take in a small number of of refugees, and basically, you know, the claims he was making—he had no idea who these people are. Mm. They're in, they, you know, they're they're in terrible, terrible conditions, and they need to, to come here. They've all been vetted, you know. Yeah. I mean, and the, the idea we can create another 9/11 and things like that. And then, of course, he not only is impolite to the Australian minister prime minister but then he's going to do it anyway so what does he get out of it you know i mean it just you know and again you you know it's interesting i when i came to work for president reagan he had campaigned against a lot of the things that president carter had said done like an arms agreement with the soviet union but when he got in there he kept it right right and, and you know because you're not going to say well you know we're going to do that. that in fact then he right. went even further right. you know in terms of trying to get rid of all nu- uh, uh, nuclear nuclear the weapons nukes, yeah. but that's what you want someone to sit there and listen to all points of view uh, you know i got to say i supported president wahid was then uh, his uh, the vice president, George H.W. Bush, mm-hmm. in the 80 campaign. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Reagan got elected, and they asked him to come in. I did have some down. Ah, oh, former movie actor. You right. know? But he had right. been <laughs> governor of California. And the first meeting I went to, and I said... Yeah, he knows how to govern because he had run the biggest state in the he country. He knew you know, yeah. and it, it dawned on me. I said, Wow, you know, I was wrong. And, and 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 the other thing was that he recognized the difference between campaigning and governing. Governing, right. Okay, right. you know, there are things wait a second. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. governing now, and okay, I might have said this, you know, but mm-hmm. hey, I've got to, you got to do that. In fact, one of the interesting things was, President Reagan had campaigned on, um, he's going to increase defense spending, cut taxes, and balance the budget, and then you know, it turned out we ran up all these deficits. He said, "Well, two out of three is not bad," <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, Larry,
1: you know we're we're close to the top of the hour. You know, what do you tell? And we'll have to have you back because obviously this is this will be an ongoing conversation with the American people. You know, what should we be looking for um, over the next few days, uh, particularly when it comes to this EO? And what do you think we should expect our allies uh, around the world to
0: to respond? Well, I think what I'm I'm hoping for is, and General Mattis is over there talking to the Koreans and the Japanese Mm -hmm. and assuring them that when Mr. Tillerson starts telling our allies, look, this is what he really means, this is what we're going to do. And then they tell the president, look, if you keep acting this way, we won't stay. Mm. And I do think that, you know, given, as you you know, (coughs) uh, President Trump's affinity for the military, if General Mattis went in and said, I'm out of here today. He we, just, he'd step mm. back. And I think they have to make it clear because he needs them more than vice versa. That's right. And again, I saw Secretary Schultz, who had been George Schultz, sec- cut out, and he told the president, well, you know, I, you don't need me. The president said, no, I want you to stay. He said, good. I meet with you once a week for an mm. hour. And and that's basically what you, what you need. But we expect... You are
1: hearing Lawrence J. Korb, senior fellow here at the Center for American Progress. You should follow him on Twitter at K O R B. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. It is always an honor and privilege to be with you. Larry, we thank you so much for coming out today. Um, and I, I will say this to the American people. We are week three of the resistance. Um, <laughs> but I encourage people to follow people online who are really smart and are really knowledgeable about their issues, call in to the Leslie Marshall Show, ask questions, stay informed. Information is power, people. Never forget it. This is Michelle Jawando. I'll be back with you again soon. Thank you and take care.
0: Thank you.